thank you, Father, for your kindness to us, your generosity. May we give the greatest of respect to you for all that you've done for us. We need you. We thank you that you are there for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. I love you. <laughs> We're getting it down. We're going to do this. <laughs> I love that. That's such a good little graphic I found there, that plane going up there. We're just ascending toward one another, toward our Lord Jesus Christ and all he has done for us. And thank you so much for being a part of my life. It's a privilege to be a part of yours too. We keep rejoicing in him. So, Hey, so uh, how's your, uh, how'd your read through Ruth go? Let me see. How many got that done this week? Get a little bit better. Well, maybe not as good this week. All right. Got a few more of you. You know where Ruth's at now. Joshua judges Ruth before 1 Samuel. I'm kind of finding it too. You know, this Bible I, I bought doesn't, it doesn't have one of those little, what, is, what do they call those things? Tabs? No, no. I'm thinking about the, the string thing. Bookmark. Okay. Yeah. Uh, got about 19 different names for them. <laughs> Whatever that string thing is, um, it doesn't. it's not in my Bible. And the next Bible I get is going to have one of those. Or I'm going to have to figure out how to get one because I'm having to find Ruth too. But my Bible's starting to open up there pretty good. So, all right. Take time to share with me what you're learning too. Love to hear from you. As you read through it, something that stands out to you. That's what I'm going to give to you each week as we go through things. The things that stand out to me as I go through this. So uh, share those with me. Text me, email me. Email might be the best way to be able to do that. That way I can get it if I need to, you know, put it into a sermon and ask you for permission for that. But uh, you got a Bible ahead of you. So uh, grab onto that so we can read it together. Um, uh, I'll give you the plot again, okay? The plot again is there's a need and it brings a move. When they make the move, brings the deaths. The deaths bring a move. When their move, help comes. Through the help comes marriage. Marriage brings a child. A child brings an heir, a king. And out of that king comes Jesus. That whole line that puts it through. So again, what I've put it together there for you this week. Uh, as we get ready to read this passage, I'm going to let you know uh, that Pastor Simon will be preaching next Sunday. I'll be taking a break. I appreciate that. And um, I've got, you thought you know, we were going to miss the little happy guy, didn't you? Because we didn't start off with him. Some of you are going, where is the happy guy? Well, he's really happy that Pastor Simon's going to be preaching next Sunday. And so is Pastor Scott. <laughs> Needs a break. About, I think this is my seventh week in a row. And I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break. But uh, Pastor Simon will do a great job. Always does a great job taking you through chapter 3. So even if you don't read all four chapters, at least read chapter 3. But maybe while you're reading chapter 3, you can read 1 and 2 and 4 too. Right? Just, you know, add that to your little right reading list there. All right. So here, let's, let's read the passage. We're in chapter 2. We've got the uh, quick review from the first seven verses. 
Ruth says, I'm going to go to work, need to, need to take care of things, need to make provision for Naomi, for myself. So she goes to work, that servant goes to work, and she finds herself outstanding in the field of Boaz, right? Boaz just happens to come to his field, and out, he's outstanding in his field too. And then he identifies, he wants to know, who is this lady who's joined the gleaners as a part of our team here? That's kind of where we left it off last week as we went through 1, 19 through 2, chapter 7. So we start again, or we start this morning in chapter 2, verse 8. All right, you get your tablets, your Bibles, uh, your phones, however you're watching it. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before? The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And he also, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you should go out with these with this young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. I encourage you as you read through the book of Ruth, maybe to look at a different version. Like I've been reading from the English Standard Version, what we're using here. Uh, last night I read through the message, Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. And it, it just opened up some things. Some new things came out of there from his study and the things that he was working on and bring them together. So as you read through Ruth, I encourage you to maybe look at a different version and see how it illuminates things that maybe 
are a little bit different than what you have seen. You'll notice on your outline, on your sermon outline there, I've, I've kind of put things together as the, the conversations that take place. Couldn't figure out any other way to kind of outline this passage today because it's narrative. Or just these conversations going. So you've, you've got them all in there, and we read all that to give you the flow. Now I'm going to kind of break it down a little bit, kind of verse by verse, some things that I see in there, and, and then we'll wrap up with some observation points and some application points. It's going to be between three people, obviously, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. All the conversations are going to be centered right there. Again, I remind you, it's narrative. Not every detail is there but enough for there to be able to convey the story that the author wants us to have that God was leading the author to put together. All of chapter 2 is going to happen within a day. And I made a comment last week and, and had some people kind of um, ask me about that comment. I said the first chapter is like 10 or, 10 or more years. It takes 10 or more years within that because they lived there in Moab. And then I said the rest of the book could possibly could take place between two or three days or even a week. And as some of my friends were talking about it, looking at it, they were kind of saying, well, but it's, you said that the barley harvest was in April and May, and then the wheat harvest is in June. And so it looks like it could be more than a couple days. Let me kind of tell you where I, I came from that. And uh, it, uh, that's, not, um, that's not for sure all that. Uh, it certainly could be more. But kind of the observation I was having, and maybe I don't know not being a farmer, growing up as a farmer or an agricultural person, it seemed to me as they were taking care of the barley harvest, and it says they're winnowing in chapter 3, they're, they're beating it out, they're getting the grain out in chapter 3, um, in my mind, that probably happens as they bring in the harvest. Now, that may not be true, but just kind of my thinking. But if they're finished the harvest, because that's what it says at the end of 23, Verse 23 in chapter 2. If they finish both those harvests, then certainly it's longer than a couple days. And maybe they have the harvest brought in, and then they are winnowing it after the harvest is brought in. You who are farmers and everything, maybe you can tell me how it really would happen. But it seems like when chapter 3 is written, Ruth goes while they're beating out their winnowing the barley harvest. So that's why I kind of put those together. But it's kind of a fun fact to know and tell. It doesn't have any bearing on the story, but it could be that it's longer than what I said last week. So I wasn't trying to lead, mislead you, and so I'll just kind of give you that, that information when we come back to it. All right? Now you're all confused? You ready to go? <laughs> all right, here we go. Boaz to Ruth, in verses 8 and 9. Boaz says, don't go to another field. Stay in my field. He says, stay close to the women. Keep your eyes on the field. The women are working. Follow the women to the field they are reaping. I've warned the young men not to touch you. Get a drink when you're thirsty. That's one, two, three, four, five, six commands that he gives to her. Wow. He's got some concern for her. And he wants her to be safe. As it says here, um, listen, my daughter. That's, that's a sense of respect that a, a father would have to his daughter. Now, she's not his daughter. We know that. But he's speaking in a very gentle and kind and a respectful way to her, giving her this advice, giving her these instructions. These are very, very important instructions. It's, there's there's a, a tenderness. There's a tenderness in his using those words to Ruth. Listen, my daughter. This is important. I care for you. 
I'm over you. I'm responsible for you. And I want to protect you. Stay with the group for protection. The gleaners would follow closely behind as the, the reapers would cut down the grain. And the gleaners would be close behind. And he's saying to her, don't get too close, okay? Because you'll drive them crazy if you get too close. Because they're going to have to keep turning around and say, stay back a little bit, stay back a little bit. And he said, in that, they might get angry with you. He's, he's communicating. It's not in the text, but he's communicating what could happen if they got too close. So he's saying, stay back, stay away, keep your distance from them. That way you won't, you won't cause any trouble, because that's what the gleaners would do, as they would follow along those who are reaping, those who are cutting down the grain. But I think he's also saying this, as he's communicating with her, he's saying, listen, Accept my generosity that I'm giving to you. You're a part of my team. This is their first day on the job, remember? Shake your head, yes. <laughs> this is their first day on the job, and he's saying, you're already a part of the team. Gather as you go, glean as you go, but you are a part of the team. I'm being generous with you. I'm sharing with you what maybe wouldn't always happen this quickly. Now, Ruth and Boaz have conversation. Ruth bows in, in honor and respect. And, and it says in the, the ESV, it says that she fell on her face bowing to the ground. Well, you know, it, it wasn't like, boom, she fell on her face. Probably what happened is she got went to her knees in respect. And then they would go in further respect. They would go down like this as a term of respect. The falling on the face didn't happen before she bowed on her knees. She would have gone to her knees, and she would have gone this way in a great moment of respect and honor for what she's just received, this permission and this care that she had just received from Boaz, this one that she has just met probably just a few hours before. And she says, why have I found favor? Why have you noticed me? Why have you favored me as a foreigner? I don't belong to those who are here. Those are all people that have been here. You have noticed of me that I am not from Bethlehem. Maybe has a little bit different accent than what they have there in Bethlehem in the Israel area. Again, I, I think you see this. You see her respect. You see her humility. You're honoring me for my need. You're not withholding because of my social status, which you could have done. But you've seen my need and now you're favoring me. That, that word appears three times in this chapter. It's a very important theme in this chapter. Started out in chapter 2, verse 2, in, in verse 2 of chapter 2. We're going to see it again as we go through this passage. You've, you've recognized somebody who could have been unrecognizable. You didn't have to recognize me, but you have. Why have you shown me this, fig, this favor? You've been kind and generous to me. Well, Boaz responds to Ruth in verse 11 and 12. I've been told about you in a good way. In a good way. Here's what I've heard about you, he says in verse 11. Number one, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Number two, 
and how you left your father and your mother, your family, in your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know. There's three things in there that he recognizes about her. This is what I've heard about you. I've heard how you've taken care of Naomi, your mother-in-law. I've heard how you left your family. How, how He's thinking how difficult that must have been to leave them. And then thirdly, he says, and you've come to a people you did not know. That's difficult in itself to, to come. To come with Naomi to these people that you're not familiar with. You have to learn a whole new culture. You have to learn a new lifestyle. You have to make new friends. And then he goes on and he gives a blessing to her in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Where did Boaz get this information about Ruth? Well, as I said last week, news travels fast and far, even without emails and texts and newspapers and radio programs, right? As somebody told me on Thursday morning in our men's study, uh, your reputation precedes you. Your good reputation precedes you. Because you could have a bad reputation too, right? But her good reputation, her worthy reputation, her godly reputation precedes her. The things that she has done, now he gives evidence to. I have heard how you've taken care of Naomi. I have heard that you left your family and now you're coming to us. I, I know that you're now here with us. Your reputation, good reputation, precedes you. Boaz recognizes in this passage, too, as he says, the Lord bless you. He recognizes, you know, that he can only do so much for her. The Lord is going to have to make his reward for her, too. He's going to be a part of fulfilling this blessing. Reading chapters 3 and 4, obviously. He's going to be a part of fulfilling this blessing. But he can only do so much, and he knows the Lord's blessing will come through him, can come through him, but also... The Lord's blessing is the blessing that she would want. I think that he also recognizes here that Ruth has already come into the realm of the God of Israel. Remember, when she would leave Moab, she was leaving her gods. She says, as she goes to Naomi, your God shall become my God. I'm going to give up my gods because they had their gods there. And I'm going to grab onto the God of Israel. So I think he's recognizing she has already done that. And also, think about this. Only the Lord could make restitution for the losses of the husband and of the son. The sons. Her husband. Only the Lord could make restitution for that. How, how, how difficult that is. The losses that they have been through. The grief that they feel. Only the Lord could make that restitution for them. Well, Ruth responds to Boaz in, in verse 13. He says, I recognize, again, that, that I have found favor in your eyes. You've got it in 2.2. You've got it in 2.10. You've got it now in 2.13. This theme 
Those are the things we look for when we read Scripture. What are the repeated words, this theme that this author is trying to develop among us? This is the third time that comes up. I recognize that I have found favor in your eyes. You've, you've comforted me and you've spoken kindly to your servant. When, she, when, she, when he said, my, listen, my daughter, she could feel the kindness of a father caring for a daughter in a very kind and gentle and respectful way. She could feel that. And she gives this humility. She, she has respect and humility as she's talking with Boaz. You've comforted me, though I am not one of your servants. I, I recognize I'm a, I'm a foreigner, and you've, you've come in, and I'm not one of the servants that you've had, and yet you're willing to embrace me and to care for me and to show me your kindness. That is great grace. She recognizes here that her rights are limited. I don't have the same rights that they have. I've only been here a day. And yet you're giving me these rights that should be reserved for a little bit of seniority and a little bit of time together. That is your grace. That is your generosity to me. And I see that. I recognize that. I do not take it for granted. And I want to thank you for that. Well, Boaz now says to his daughter, quote, daughter, listen to my daughter, quote, daughter, come and eat with us. In verse 14, you're part of the team. You can join with us. Now, he wouldn't have had to have done that. That was not required for that to happen. But he is extending his generosity, he's extending his grace and his care and his kindness. And she eats with the reapers. It says that she eats until she's satisfied. So, so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. It seems like maybe he's even brought her close not on the outside, the periphery with all everybody, but maybe she's even sitting close near to where he's at. And it says she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left, left over. Um, that's a really good way to show respect when you're in a place that you have never been before. To, to eat until you're satisfied, it's, it's really a good, it's a good eating method. To eat until you're satisfied and then have some leftover. You know, remember what it says in Proverbs? It says this. It says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, a king, somebody really important, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. What Solomon's saying is, don't be a glutton when you're eating with people you don't know. Now, I know that's not the major point of this text, okay? I understand that. But it's just a good principle, right? It's a good principle for living. Eat until you're satisfied, and it's really good to always have something left over for that. And she does. She's, she's wise. She doesn't gorge herself. One, she knows she needs to go back to work. The other day I went out to eat with somebody, and I just ate too much at lunch. And it made it really hard to go back to work afterwards. <laughs> you all know how that is. But she's wise. She's smart. She recognizes, I'm in a privileged place. And so I'm going to be a very wise person. I'm going to be respectful of Boaz and the people that are here. Beautiful, beautiful 
picture. But you see Boaz's kindness. You see his grace. You see his generosity. Come eat. You didn't have to do that. Come eat with us. I want you to join us and be a part of our, our team. Boaz says now in verse 15 and 16 to the workers, he instructs his young men, just, just as he did to Ruth, those six or seven things that were in the first part, eight chapters, or verses 8 and 9. Now he instructs his workers as he's gathered them together. Let her glean among the sheaves, okay? And don't reproach her for doing that. In other words, he's saying she can get up really close where you're cutting things down. She can get up really close to be able to get what she needs to. She doesn't have to stay back so far, but she could be right up there. This gives her the opportunity to get more of the grain, not just the leftovers. This gives her the opportunity. And then he says, out of his generosity and his grace, he says, go ahead and, and, and pull some out of the bundles you put together so it would be really easy for her to get. She didn't have to just keep doing the work back here, going over, bending over, bending over, picking up the little pieces. No, she can go over here where you put the grain together, you bundle it up, and, and pull out some so she can just walk over here. I mean, I mean, he, he is really giving her some grace and extending his generosity to her. And it's quite possible that the workers, the other workers are going, that's really unfair. We don't get that. It's not in the text, but, but I'm just thinking of human nature. Maybe not you, but maybe me. <laughs> that seems unfair. Grace, grace, grace. His generosity to her. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of that. And if she comes and she picks it up, don't rebuke her. Don't reproach her. It's not your job. I'm in charge here, and I'm extending my grace, and this is how I want you to treat her too, with the same grace, the same kindness that I'm exhibiting and I'm demonstrating to her. She's not getting from the leftovers. She's getting from the abundance of what has been harvested. Well, it says in verse 17 and 18 that she gleans, in the field until evening. We already know from up in verse 6 and 7 that she's worked really hard up to this lunchtime. She hasn't taken a break. Maybe she has gone to get water. The generosity of him to say, go and get water, stay hydrated. It says in verse 17 and 18, she beats out the grain and then she goes back to the city and she shares the grain and the food with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, and now, now Naomi gets a surprise in the midst of this. Because she comes back with about four gallons of grain. Enough grains, one commentator said, for two or three days. Another commentator said enough grain for maybe two weeks. I don't know how much it is really, but it's a lot. It's abundance of what she comes home with. It's way more than anybody should have ever had working for one day. Oh, well, why? Because she got to have the things pulled out of the bundles. She got to be right there. She didn't have to do all the gleaning herself to be able to get what she needed. And this is a great surprise for Ruth when she comes home with this abundance of food. It says, and she took it up in verse 18, and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. She came home with that little styrofoam package. <laughs> her leftovers. And she gave it to Naomi, her mother-in-law. 
been probably not that generous with my leftovers. I like putting my name on them. <laughs> this is mine. I think I have a little bit of selfish streak in me. But not Ruth. She comes and she brings out of the abundance of what she was given. She shares out of the grace and generosity of Boaz. She shares the same way, grace and generosity to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law is surprised by that because she wouldn't anticipate her getting that much in that day's work. Where did you glean today? Excuse me, verse 19. And where have you worked? My goodness, this is way more than we could have anticipated having in one day of work. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. She recognizes that someone has been very generous and it has extended grace to her in her work on this first day. It's just obvious how much grain she brings. Somebody has been very generous to you. And yet that surprise of all the generous food, Naomi pronounces this blessing to her. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then she shares who it is. Naomi doesn't know it's Boaz at this point. She just knows somebody's been really, really generous to her. And she extends a blessing, just like in verse 13 and 13, that Boaz extends a blessing to Ruth for her reputation. Now, Ruth, or Naomi, extends a blessing to this man. And then, there's a second surprise. The first surprise is all this food that comes. The second surprise is, oh, the man's name that I've been working in his field is Boaz. Imagine that at this point, Naomi's eyes might have got a little bit big. Oh, oh. And Naomi said to her, May he be blessed by the Lord. She recognizes who Boaz is. He's the Lord follower. He's a God follower. Whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. His providing for Ruth is providing for Naomi. And in a sense, is providing for those family members who have lost Elimelech and Malon, their husbands. In that sense, in his provision for them, he's provided for the family that has come out of that. That's what it means in the living and the dead for us here today. But, but he's also providing for our family, even though we don't have our husbands anymore. He has provided for us. And then, this new, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The surprising identification now that Ruth would have got is, oh, Boaz is related to Elimelech, my father-in-law. That would have been a surprise to her. I know it says in two chapter 2, verse 1, it says who Elimelech is, but this is the author writing. He's reflecting and giving us just a little foreshadowing what's going to happen. But now this would have been a surprise to her. Oh, Boaz is related to us, is a part of us. Now, I think we can assume as we read this passage and we read the book of Ruth that, that Boaz was a wealthy man. 
as well as, remember what it says about him, the other W word about him? What did we say last week? Boaz was a worthy man. A worthy man. So we, I think we can assume by reading this that, that Boaz is a wealthy, worthy man. Okay? Those wealth and worthy are not ex- mutually exclusive. You can be a worthy man and be a wealthy man. Now, I, what does Tevye say? Lord, bless me. <laughs> you know, in Fiddler on the Roof. Lord, bless me. I'd like to be one of those guys. <laughs> Well, for most of us, that hasn't happened, right? But we have a lot. But here is a picture of a man who's, who's wealthy, but he's also worthy. He's following God. He's kind, and he's a graceful man. Ruth says to Naomi, He told me to keep close to the men, verse 21, until they finish the harvest. In a sense, she's saying this, I've got a job to do throughout the harvest. He's kind of hired me. He said, I can join with him. Stay close to my men. You've got a job. And then Naomi says to Ruth, it is good for you to go with the young women for safety's sake. But also, not just for safety, but it's good that you go with them because that's going to be God's provision. That's going to be the Lord's provision for us. And what Boaz is doing for us, that's the Lord's provision. That's the Lord's hand for us. Boaz wants you to go with his women and treat you kindly, my thought. Then by all means, go with them and accept his generosity because this is the Lord's provision for us. And then in verse 23, it says, it wraps it all up. Ruth gleans until the end of the harvest, the barley harvest, May and Mar- April and May, the wheat harvest probably in June as she goes through there. And she lives with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Do you recognize that last part? She lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi, is a fulfillment of chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I will go with you where you go. I will stay with you where you stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my people. That's a fulfillment. He's telling you, this is what's happening. She said she would do that, and she is doing it. That was her promise. That was her commitment. And so she does that, and we see that as we read this. Now, here's what stands out to me in the next few minutes. First of all is this. Is the respect and goodness that is shown and kindness that's shown in this passage. Boaz to Ruth. Think about the kindness that he shared and the goodness and the respect. A man to a woman. I'm thinking of this. Men, do we treat women with respect or do we display a superiority attitude toward them? None of this, ladies. None of this, okay. <laughs> I'm serious. Men, do we show women the respect that we ought to give to them? And Boaz does. Boaz shows great respect to Ruth. What about the respect that is shown as a native to a foreigner? Boaz, the native, this is his land, this is where he's grown up, and now to Ruth, who is a foreign woman. I I wrote this. Are we respectful to and accepting of the Texans and Californians or Denverites who move into our community? (laughs) Okay, I, gotta, I, I can woke you up on that one, right? I'm just serious. I mean, we all have our biases. I grew up in Denver. 
There was a bias toward Pueblo. I knew it. I heard it. But do we show Texans, Missourians, it doesn't matter. You, know, you, you see what I'm saying. Do we show respect to those people who have come to our community to, to live here? Because we're called to be able to do that. And Boaz does that for Ruth. He gives great respect to this foreigner. This foreigner. There's great respect there. Do we show respect to those who are from a different tribe or nation, tongue, or people? As in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We'll all be gathered someday together, but do we show proper respect to those who we might have some struggles with? What about Ruth to Boaz? A woman to a man, a worker to a boss. She shows great respect to him. Ruth to Naomi, a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law and her family members. She cares for, for him. She cares for her. And she comes and she purposely eats what she should and then she has left over to take to her mom, her mother-in-law, and to care for her. The great respect and goodness and kindness that comes out of this. Also, I noticed this. I thought this was significant. What do you remember about Naomi in chapter 1? About her names. Naomi means pleasant, pleasant, and but call me Mara, which means bitter, right? Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. I think a transformation is taking place in her life. I know when she first got to Bethlehem, because that's when she says that, that the journey hasn't changed her. But now, however long it's been, I think some things are changing. Because notice, notice what she says. She says in verse 19, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And in verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord. She's had a problem with the Lord. She's been angry at the Lord. She's been bitter at the Lord. And now she gives a blessing. I think that she's going from bitter to blessing. God's doing a work in her heart. He's changing her heart. And don't we all know that? I mean, we, we have those times where we're bitter, we're struggling, and things are difficult, and, and they're real. I mean, they're real things. And we might find ourselves in kind of a complaining and a judgmental mode. And, and God has to work on our heart and to change our heart so that we can become a person of blessing to people. Not over here, but over here. And I think that's happening to Naomi. She's seeing the Lord change her heart as she's open to what he has We sang this morning, you unravel me with a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Just change that for Naomi. I'm no longer a slave to bitterness. I am a child of God. She's, I think she's beginning to act like who she is. She's beginning to act like who she is. She's a child of God. She has this relationship, and now she's, she's changed, and she's acting like who she is as a child of God, going from bitter to a lady of blessing. So kind of to, to wrap it all up, and this, this 
thought. Be respectful of all people. Be respectful, not judgmental. Examine your biases and ask the Lord to give you a heart for all his people. Is is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to restore a relationship with? Extend his kindness. Extend his goodness. Extend his respect to those around you. And care for them like Boaz cared for Ruth. I'd also say this. Have you, have you thanked the individuals around you that have shown you kindness? At least once today. At least once today. Take the time. Take that email. Take that text. Take that phone call. Take that personal conversation and thank somebody who's shown you kindness. Matter of fact, you could do, even do it right now if you wanted to. How important that is. How valuable it is. And I want to say this. I'm going to do it right now. Thank you to all of you who came yesterday and helped clean the church. I moved that from the first part of my sermon to right now, this morning. Thank you so much for all of you who came and helped out yesterday. And we, we, we got a lot done. It was significant. And thank you for the time that you put into it. For Rita, for coordinating for it and putting it, Rita Payline, coordinating for it. Did a great job at that. It was so good to see you here. So thank you so much for being a part of the team. Here's the second thing I see in this passage. Be generous with what you have to give. Be generous with what you have to give. Boaz to Ruth and his workers, get water, come eat and drink with us, glean in my field, make it easy for Ruth to gather some extra grain. Ruth to Naomi, here's some delicious food for you at lunch. Here's the grain I gleaned. Glean, what's mine is yours, she says. I got all this. I'm not going to write my name on my little styrofoam package. If it's in the refrigerator, it's yours too, right? The generosity, give and be generous with what you have given. I came across this illustration just this week uh, as a significant illustration. I'll just read it to you. It was the day of the Olympic trials several years ago, the biggest competitive day of Scott Huffman's life. His best friend, Pat Manson, Scott's former college collegiate teammate, was also competing. On Pat's first warm-up jump at the Olympics in the pole vault, his pole broke. He careened out of control through the vaulting pit, eventually ending up on the ground. After he dusted himself off and caught his breath, he took a look at his other backup poles. A faint tire tread mark showed across them. It appeared that a baggage handler at the airport had accidentally run over his poles, compromising them all. You can imagine the disappointment for this man. He was out of the competition unless there was another vaulter who weighed about the same and had the same brand of poles and would be willing to share his pole with his competitor. It was at the mercy of all his other competitors. He needed a pole that wouldn't break on him. When the announcer came on the speaker later in the day, the audience had no idea what transpired during the warm-up. The announcer said, if we can have your attention in the pole vault area, Pat Manson is preparing for his final attempt in the vault. If he makes it, he will be, final, he will be the final competitor to make the pole vaulting team for the Olympics. You see, Pat was using his friend Scott's pole. If he missed... If Pat missed, Scott would receive the final spot on the team. It came down to this one jump on a borrowed pole. Well, Pat barely missed the attempt, and Scott earned the final point. But I share this story because it's a significance to greatness, and I would say generosity. 
Scott displayed greatness by willing to give away his ultimate sport dream so that Pat could have a chance at the same dream. He shared his poem. He cared more about his friend at that moment than about himself. Scott is a model of greatness, of generosity, selfless exceptionalism. David Cook, as he writes this article, he says this, Who needs, who needs to borrow a pole from you? Who needs to borrow a pole from you? Who has something? You have something that somebody else needs, and it's called generosity. And they need it. They need it today. David Cook, who wrote this illustration, gave you this, we gave you this quote last week. When you give, you live. When you take, you ache. When you give, you live. When you take, you ache. Somebody's going to need your pole today. Extend it. Give it to them. Be generous with what you have to give. Third thing that's significant in this passage is the introduction of the kinsman redeemer. And Pastor Simon's going to tell you all about that next Sunday. Happy guy. Happy guy. But it's mentioned. Just to give you. It's mentioned. 220, 3-9, 3-12, 3-13, 4-1, 4-3, 4-6, 4-8, 4-14. I would say it's a very key word in this study. Pastor Simon's going to give that to you next week. Aren't you, Pastor Simon? <laughs> he knows he is. We talked about it the other day. Last is this. We finish up. Take refuge under the wings of the Lord. I kind of went kind of over that really quick like because I wanted to cover it as we finish. It's in verse 12. As Boaz gives this blessing to Ruth, he says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, probably if you've, you've read your Bible, especially in the Psalms, you understand this picture of the, the, the hand and taking the chicks and placing their wings over them for protection and for safety. For warmth. It's in Psalm 17, 8, 36, 7, 57, 1, 61, 4, 63, 7, and the one we know best, Psalm 91, 4. This beautiful picture of what this blessing that Boaz gives to Ruth, that he recognizes about her, that, that you, Ruth, you have placed yourself under the Lord's care. Remember, she has left the gods of Moab and she's come to the God of Israel. And he recognizes that she has made that change. One author says this, this phrase, this picture means to entrust oneself to God's watch care by worshiping him alone and by associating with his people. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how important this is. That we would come to him Come to the one who wants to give us refuge and to rest there. Not to run away from him. As we know, many people in our lives have done. They've run away from him during the difficult times and the hard times. But we come to him, we run to him, and we come under his care for our refuge and our strength. Because it says in 91.4, he's our buckler and our shield. And I look down to my brother down here who always tells us that, Jeff. Always tells it. He's my buckler and my shield. 
because we've placed ourselves under His wings and His care. Get under those wings today, friends. Get under those wings. He cares for you. He cares for you. He wants to provide for you. Run to Him. In the midst of your grief, in the midst of hard things, in the midst of things all that's going on, in the midst of your busyness, in the midst of all those things, run to Him and get under His care and His wings. You see, Boaz recognized that Ruth had truly honored her commitment in 116. Your people will be my people and your God would be my God. Ruth could say, I think, as we sang earlier, I am a child of God. I think she's made that transformation. We're going to sing just in a few minutes. Simon's coming up here. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Place yourselves under his wings. The wings of refuge. The the wings of rest. Let him grab onto you and love you and care for you. Thank you, Father, that we can run to you. Thank you, Father, that we can extend your grace and your generosity like you've extended to us. Thank you, Father, that we can have respect for one another. And for other people who maybe we don't like, we disagree with. Maybe those that have hurt us, we can have kindness and goodness, extend kindness and goodness to you. Because you've done it to us. We didn't deserve it, but you've extended your grace to us. And we thank you for it. May we build our lives upon you. Nothing else, but only on you. Thank you that you are a firm foundation. And we don't have to be shaken, no matter what takes place.